Greetings, friends. It's such a blessing for me to come to you today and to bring you the gospel of God's grace. Today we are talking on Romans chapter 2, and we are busy in a series going through Romans verse by verse. But before we get into that, I would just like to start this with prayer. Let's pray together. Father, I want to thank you that we can be together. Thank you for your grace and your kindness. Thank you for the love that you have towards us. And thank you, Lord, that we can know that you care for us and that your eternal life is a gift and true. Thank you that we can trust in that, Lord. Amen and amen. I would like to welcome everybody that is watching for the very first time. It's a blessing for me to have you here. Our internet church is all about having the focus on spreading the gospel of God's grace. That is what it's all about. In these services, you will never hear a message that is focused on what you need to do to try and preserve your own life by your works. In these messages, you will never hear a message that will condemn you or be the root of guilt in your life. It is all focused on the death and the resurrection of Jesus, which is the fulfillment of what God has promised man from before the world began, which is eternal life as a free gift. So we want to welcome you and we, I want to invite you to sit back, open your heart and say, God, I want to know more about your love and your goodness. And then I want to welcome everybody that's slotting in on a regular basis. It's good to have you here, and it's good to minister to you. And it's wonderful to see your enthusiasm about this message in the posts that you share on Facebook, the likes that you put on uh, YouTube, the comments you put. It is wonderful to see what the gospel is bringing forth in your life. Now, we're going to start today in Romans chapter 2. And um, let us, uh, I think I need to start with just laying the foundation of how we interpret the scripture, how we interpret the gospel. Now, unfortunately, I did not send the notes to you this week. I was supposed to send that, but I only made this today. I had a hectic week and I just couldn't get to everything Although this message, I mean, I've studied um, all of this out long ago, so I didn't get to send the notes to you, and I just uh, fine-tuned some of them uh, today, this morning. So uh, you will have this with the notes for next Sunday. Uh, so yeah, I'm going to start off by saying that nothing in the Bible can be correctly understood outside of the concept of eternal life as bodily immortality and a promise from God. Now, to those of you that slot in for the first time, our Sunday services is focused on in-depth teaching. Uh, so we, when we go through Romans, we go through it verse by verse with a purpose to understand what the Apostle Paul understood when he wrote that and what the purpose of the letter was. And we do that with every Sunday message. So uh, when things sound uh, theological or uh, deep or whatever you want to call it, uh, it is on purpose. We want to see the depths of the gospel. We want to understand context and all of those things. Uh, 
Okay, so the first thing that I'm, going, that I'm saying and I'm laying as a foundation is that nothing in the Bible can be correctly understood outside of the concept of eternal life as bodily immortality and a gift from God. Now you might say, but what are you talking about? Well, what we have said for many Sundays over the last four or five years is that God is the only immortal, the only one with eternal life. Man is mortal inherently. In other words, we uh, by ourselves don't have eternal life. God promised us eternal life. And from this and this promise that God has made from before the world began, then materialized in the death and the resurrection of Jesus, from where we will then have what God has promised as we rely upon God. Now, when we get into Romans chapter 2, we need to understand that Romans chapter 2 is a continuation of the logic that is found in Romans 1. Paul doesn't come and skip a beat in going into Romans chapter 2. I believe that the reason why Romans chapter 2 was placed where it was placed by the uh, commenters and the people that was dis deciding to divide the Bible up into chapters and verses is because it sounds as if Paul in chapter 2 is now addressing the Jews and basically telling them that they are now as much sinners as the Gentiles. But in Paul's writing, he didn't put a chapter there. It was just a continuation of one thought, which is very, very important. We need to understand that. It is, it is important because we're going to lose what he wants to say in chapter 2 verse 1 if we don't do that. Now, let us first summarize what Romans chapter 1 says. Romans chapter 1 says that the gospel is for all of humanity, both to Jews and to Gentiles. The second point there is that the just shall live by faith and no other way, proving the truth that God spoke from the beginning. So Romans chapter 1 says that the gospel is for both Jew and Gentile, and that, the, and that God spoke the truth that man cannot live by himself through his own works from the beginning. That's what Paul tries to say in Romans chapter 1. Uh, the third thing he's saying is it is, this concept of life only by trust in God and no other way is confirmed by the wrath of God, which is the obvious uninvolvement of true life seen in humanity on account of Adam and Eve suppressing the truth in their unbelief. Now, what does that mean? It simply means that God from the beginning said, you cannot live by your own power. Then he said, should you try to live by your own power, you will truly die. That is what will take place. And that is then also called the wrath of God or the judgment of God. It is, uh, last week we've defined it as God then standing back and saying, should you want to live by your own power, it is okay. Live by your own power and then we start to see the fruit of the flesh uh, uh, working in the lives of people and we see that death already starts to show its first signs in people that is what he is basically saying and he says that the signs of man not having eternal life by his own works is seen in uh, basically man dishonoring their own bodies having a reprobate mind and having joy in the things that leads unto death 
We've also seen in Romans chapter 1 that uh, the wrath of God is a revelation of the death that God knew would be, would be in man should we try to live by our own power. So in this first 10 minutes, let's just let me summarize what Romans 1 says because if we don't remember that, we're not going to understand what Romans 2 says. So Romans 1 is simple. God says, or Paul says, that the gospel is for both Jew and Gentile alike. All of them will have bodily, eternal life by relying upon God. And this is proven by the manifestation of what I would call the first fruit or the first effects of the wrath of God, which is defined as God saying to man, well, if you want to live by your own power and think that you can have eternal life by yourself, where you are not seeking eternal life, but where you say, I have it by myself, then I will say, okay, live by yourself and let's see what happens. And then we find that man starts to show forth fruit that is worthy of death or that is equal to death or the fruits of death. And therefore, Paul comes to the conclusion in Romans chapter 1 that the scripture says God has promised that we can only live by him and we also see that whenever God is not present, that man dies away. And when man said, referring to Adam and Eve, that I can live by my own power, we found that they were dying. And we find that fruit in humanity, be it the Jews or be they Gentiles, doesn't matter. All of them suffer of the very same thing. Now, let us read Romans 1, uh, the last verse. I think it's 32. Yes. It says, who knowing, now it talks about basically um, Adam and Eve knowing the judgment of God. What is the judgment of God? The judgment of God is the opinion of God, which says that should you want to live without me, you will not be able to live forever. You will not have eternal life. That is how simple it is. Knowing that, uh, knowing the judgment of God, they which commit such things are worthy of death. So in other words, when we know that God says, you cannot live without me, but people get to a place where they try to live without God, wherein you see the first fruit of death in their lives, uh, the, that fruit is worthy of death. Now, that word worthy there is uh, very important to understand it simply means uh, comparable to death. It doesn't mean that, uh, or having the same weight as death. It is another thing of the like value or the same worth. So what, what he's saying is, should we not believe that eternal life is a free gift, uh, and we stand in our own power, and we start to, show forth fruit that is just another form of death or the showing forth death. It is worthy or of the same value as death itself. How can we think we shall live forever? If you say that um, you can build a massive building, if you say that, and I say to you, okay, I don't think you can build that building. You may be just a five-year-old kid. You cannot even read and write properly. Uh, 
but I don't think you can build such a building today. And you say, no, I can do it. And then I say, what will I say? I will not argue with you anymore. I will just say, okay, try it. Especially if, you to- if, if the child says to you, I can build it without you. If I say to him, you can build this, but with my help. Uh, and the child says, no, 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 no. I can build it by myself. How long do you think will I argue with a kid? I'm not going to argue with him for very long. I will just tell him, build it. And then you will see that he doesn't, (laughs) he cannot even uh, make a phone call to order anything. He doesn't know, know how to draw our building plans. He knows nothing. And as you see, and as he sees within the first week of trying to build a building, that nothing is happening, that nothing is of the same worth as not having a building. And that is what it's talking about. It is worthy of or of the same value as not having a building. So his efforts in trying to build something where he maybe goes outside, takes some uh, uh, mud and try and make a little brick, and but he's not going to build a skyscraper. His effort is already worthy of what I've already told him is going to be. It's nothing. You're not going to build anything. You're going to build nothing, and what you're busy with is equal to that. It is nothing. It does not mean that whenever the child builds something, I'm going to break it down. That would be equivalent to say that God says that should you live by your own power, that you will die thinking that God will kill you the moment you try to live by your own power. God's not going to kill anybody. When we try to live by our own power, we can already see in our fruit, we cannot even love one another. We cannot even be kind to one another. We cannot, uh, we are all self-seeking and all those kind of things. Hatred, bitterness, drunkenness, revelings, all those kind of things starting to take place, which are already showing that that kind of a life cannot last forever. The other day I wanted to uh, have somebody uh, do some work for me and he started to do some work for me and then within the first week of doing it uh, I realized that this guy is starting to cheat me and he's starting to to steal from me. Now, (laughs) I will continue with my life even if he has stolen from me like Judas. Uh, Judas stole from Jesus. But it didn't end the life of Jesus. Judas and his way of living brought an end to his own life. He couldn't end the life of Jesus because Jesus' life was not based in the abundance of the things he possesses or any of that. His life was based, Jesus' life was based in the Father. And as he trusted the Father, even when man brought death to him, the Father raised him up. He cannot die. Because the life he has is not in his own hands. It's in the hands of the one that's got eternal life. Um, In the very same way as what Judas destroyed his own life and Jesus didn't destroy it. In the very same way with Adam and Eve. When they didn't believe in God, they could not excuse themselves. They had no answer to death. And the first signs of death was shown in them. We found that into Noah and all of the people, that the descendants, that this wickedness 
inside man was just manifesting more and more and more. Now, uh, taking this all together in Romans chapter 1, we go into Romans chapter 2 verse 1, and this is what it says. Romans 2 verse 1. Let's read 1 verse 32 and 2 verse 1 in one sitting. It says, Who knowing the righteous order of God, that those that practice such things are worthy of death or as good as dead. Not only do they do them, but they have pleasure in those practicing them. So he says that man has fallen away so far by his own works from life that you even love death thinking it's going to bring you life. It says, Therefore... You are without excuse, you don't have an answer, O man, everyone who judges, for in that which you judge another, you condemn yourself, for uh, you who judge do the same things. Okay, so what is Paul getting at here? He said that if you believe in the righteousness of works, According to Romans chapter 1, standing under the, the judgment of God or the wrath of God, wherein God is not involved in your life, and you are now seeing things like hatred, bitterness, and all those things manifesting in your life, as we saw came through Adam. And you are now at a place where you have a law, and you judge other people, and you say, do you see that this law here says, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, and thereby you declare other people as without God, but you who have the law do the very same things, what does that mean? It means that you are just as much in need of a Savior as them, and just as much without God as them. That is what it means. So, Paul comes, and as he built the case in Romans chapter 1, he says, all people are only saved by grace, not by works. That's what he says in Romans chapter 1. Then he comes into Romans chapter 2, and he is addressing the Jew which thinks that they are excluded from that death and that they have eternal life on the basis of God giving them the law. So they felt, if God gave us the law, that means we are saved. That's what they thought. They thought if God gave them the law, and they are circumcised, it means that they are saved. But Paul's argument is the following. God promised eternal life by him alone, and those who don't trust in God will have the fruit of death in them, and that is called the wrath of God or the uninvolvement of God, and that is a sign that what you believe and the effort you are putting in is not uh, with God or that you are actually without God and now he says if you have a law and you can see what the fruit of death is and you judge the Gentiles as under death but the very fruit that's manifesting in the Gentiles are manifesting in you it simply means that you are not going to escape you have not escaped the judgment of God and that you don't have any answer to death Meaning that having the law and thinking that you are a Jew and thereby saved is not an answer to death. 
That is what he is saying. Now, let us read uh, Romans 1 uh, there again. Uh, Excuse me, Romans 2, verse 1. Therefore, you are without excuse. That word excuse, we've seen that word excuse only as having an excuse not to do something. But that word excuse should also be seen as being excused. So, um, you know, when, when you didn't have knowledge of something, or if you did it ignorantly, you can be excused, saying, okay, uh, we excuse you from this punishment because you didn't have knowledge or you didn't know or something like that. But what Paul is saying here, he says that basically that, The Jews are without excuse. That word excuse we can also say they don't have an answer to. It's the the Greek word where we get apologetics from. The English word apologetics which means to answer. He says, therefore you are also without an answer, O man. Everyone that judges or that has the law. For in the very thing that you Judge another man, you condemn yourself, for you judge, you judge, do the very same things. So he says, the law, as seeing it as the fact that I have it. The Jews believe just because they have the law and God has chosen them to have the law, they are now excused from death. And he says here, listen, you who have the law, And you judge other people. Aren't you doing the very same things as these people that you are judging? And since the judgment of God is according to truth, which means that God said that if you trust me, you will have life. If you don't trust me, you will not have life. And now you you are dying and have all the fruit of death. And you are judging those who have the fruit of death, the Gentiles, in saying... Look, you have the fruit of death. Thinking that because you have the law, although you've got the fruit of death, that means nothing. The fact that you have the law means that you are saved. That's what the Jews believed. It's very technical for us, but we need to understand that. And as we understand that, Romans chapter 3 is also going to make sense to us. So, um, if we go to the next point there, and we look at what the law's purpose was, we can see that these Jews completely missed it. They literally thought that the fact that God chose the Jewish people or Israel to give the law to them, that they were excused from death and that it was the answer. The fact that they physically were of the descendants of Abraham and that unto them were given the oracles or the law, they thought that they are exempt from death, and that they will surely inherit the kingdom of God. But Paul comes and he uses a completely different argument. His argument is, the just shall live by faith. But you Jews don't live by faith, you live by the physical reality of you uh, of the fact that you Jews or 
Israelites have received the physical law, the temple and bodily circumcision for men, that you are then excused. But he says that's not how it works. He says the principle is this. God promised Adam and Eve they did not believe and they started to die. As they started to die, that was a result of God giving them over to their own mindset, which was, I can live by myself. That is it. And we see the fruit of that in man. And I believe he's literally referring to uh, basically from Adam to Noah and what was going on there. And then he comes and he says, we all know that a life of all of these sexual immoralities and cheating on your wife and uh, beating up people and drunkenness and all those kind of things leads to destruction, like corruption in government. Where will it lead to? In the end, it will lead to devastation. That's what it will lead to. It's as good as devastation. It weighs up to devastation. It's just an earlier manifestation of what's already there. That is what he uses. That's the argument he uses. And then he goes on and he says, well, since we've seen Adam and Eve not obey, and then we find death in them, and that these actions was basically on account of life withdrawn from them, and God saying, well, live by yourself, and all these fruit of death manifesting. Therefore, then chapter 2, you, O Jewish man or Israel, that have the law, and make your boast in the fact, well, I'm exempt from death, and I will have the kingdom of God, because I'm a Jew, and because I'm I have the law. He says you don't have an answer to death. Because the very things that the Gentiles do, you do. You have no different lifestyle than them in the end. That means that the judgment of God from the beginning is true for the Jew as well. It is. There's no the law, having the law and bodily circumcision is not going to excuse you or be an answer to or keep you uh, exempt, if that's the right word, exempt you, keep you away from die, eternal death. You need Jesus. And we can see that Paul's argument from Romans chapter 1 is all the time just one thing. Paul in Romans is addressing the contention or the true bone of contention in Romans is the Roman people were thinking that God has completely thrown the Jews away. But Paul is coming and is explaining the gospel in a way that those in Rome, as well as the Jews in Rome, can all understand that the gospel is for all people. And this is that we are, what we are discussing now, the, 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 the belief in God and then the wrath of God, wherein God is not present, where you live by yourself and you are dying, is shown as the foundation of his reason. So what Paul is saying is this. When you believe in God, you live. When man decided, I live by my own wisdom and not reliance upon God, but I rely on my own wisdom, 
and I'm wise in my own eyes, then God gives you over to your wisdom. And when God gave, you, gave people over to their wisdom, we found that they were dying, meaning that they are not God's in themselves. They don't have eternal life by themselves and that they are actually absent from God. But the Jews did not believe that they were absent from God. They believed that God was with them. They believed that God, his presence dwelt with them in the fact that they had the commandments and that they had the law. But what Paul is saying here is that you Jews, the sign if God is with you or not, is in if you have the fruit of eternal life or not. And you don't have it. You have the same fruit as the Gentiles. Now you think that you are exempt from wrath in the end or complete death. You are not. Let us go to um, verse 2 there. It says, But know you that... but." But know that the judgment of God is according to, to truth on all who practice such things. So what he is saying is that, it's a difficult way of saying, those who practice such things, what God says about your system is manifested in you. So he's basically saying to the Jews, listen, the fact that you have the law doesn't save you. And the fact that your life is just as filthy as the life of people that don't believe in me means that you're as void of life as what the Gentiles are. So don't trust in yourselves. The, you trusting and making your boast in the flesh and in the law is equal to the Gentile. You need belief in God. Then he goes in verse 3, And O man, the one judging those who do such things and practice them, do you think this, that you shall escape the judgment of God? That doesn't mean that God's going to kill anybody. He's saying, if you think that you have a law, it's like a police officer. If a police officer thinks that he has the law whereby he can catch somebody that speeds, does he think that he will be exempt from being caught speeding and having the same punishment or the same consequences as the one that he catches just because he's got the law? The fact that you're an officer of the law doesn't mean that you are free from the law. Uh, so what he's saying here is, you guys think, you Jewish people, you think that should you point out the sins of the Gentiles that you are okay? No. You are not okay. You, you don't understand what the law truly says. Now let's go to verse 4, a very famous verse. It says, Or do you, talking to the Jews, despise the riches of his kindness and the forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? Right there, Paul comes with a massive twist or a change uh, for the Jews in understanding what the law was all about. He says to them that the law is the kindness and the goodness and the forbearance of God pointing out to you that you as much, you that are descendants of Abraham, you are as much in need of salvation as what the Gentiles are, and this should lead you to repentance. Now, the law has only got one job, 
and that is to show man that he doesn't have life by his own works, pointing him to the one that does have life. So he says here, listen man, the law is God's goodness. It is showing you your inability so that you can repent from the system whereby you try to have life, pointing unto what the law actually says, which is to believe in Jesus Christ. That is what he is saying. Okay. Uh, let us summarize quickly up to here, and then we're going to see if we can get point six in here, which is Romans uh, 2 verses 5 to 11, just quickly. I might go five minutes over, uh, over what I wanted to do here. But uh, let us summarize this. Paul is coming and he's saying in Romans chapter 1, Everybody is only saved by faith and not by works. And that is evident. For the wrath of God is revealed or an absence of true life is revealed in all those who try to live by their own power. We found in Adam and Eve that they knew God, but even after they have known God and then believed in their own wisdom, it could not excuse them. They were without excuse. It could not excuse them or redeem them from death. Another way of saying it is this way. Adam and, Eve believe, Adam and Eve saw the truth, but then believed something else, and the other thing they believed could not answer unto death. It could not be an answer to heal them from mortality. That is it. It could not. And we find that through Adam and Eve, what happened into the world was utmost destruction at the end, the flood, and the death of basically all people. So the works they were, the works they were committing, especially if we look at, at uh, excuse me, Genesis 5 into 6 onwards, looking at the flood, looking at how evil man became in their works, how they were given over to a reprobate mind, and how the end of all of that was the flood and the death of all people. Paul is using that to say that those bad works are equal to death. It's just death. It weighs up to death. It is death manifesting. That's what he was saying. He then goes on into chapter 2 and he says, Therefore, even you who judge another by having the law, but have the same fruit of death in you, your law does not excuse you or is an answer to solve death. That is what he is saying. And then he goes on and he says, You are actually, should you not acknowledge that, despising the goodness and the kindness and the forbearance of God, which was the giving of the law and all the time speaking to the Jews, telling them they are dying by their own power. Don't make your boast in the flesh. What did the Jews do? Abraham was circumcised. It was a sign unto faith. But then the, they took the circumcision from that, thereon and believed that it is not a sign unto faith. It was to them a physical thing that meant that they are heirs. They don't have to have the faith of Abraham. They just believe that they were a chosen nation and that is enough. 
doesn't work like that. Now Paul comes and he says to them in Romans chapter 2, But know you the judgment of God according to the truth that practice such things. He's saying to them, I want you to know that the very thing that the Gentiles carry in them, the death that's in their bodies, even you that have the law, you carry the same death inside you. And I, you should read the law for what it truly says. What the law truly says is that you should believe upon Jesus. It's the goodness of God showing the Jewish people they cannot rely upon their flesh. They cannot rely upon circumcision. They cannot rely upon any of the thing of themselves. They can only rely upon God to give them eternal life. Don't make your boast in the flesh. That's what he was basically saying. But he says here that you are despising what the Lord truly says, which is to believe in Jesus, and that you are as dead as anyone else. He says you are despising that, and according to the hardness, verse 5, and the impenitent heart, do you treasure up for yourself in the day of wrath, wrath in the day of wrath, and the revelation of the judgment of God, who will render to each man according to his works. Indeed, to those who with patience in good works are seeking for glory and honor and incorruptibility, they will have everlasting life. But to those who, who indeed are disobeying the truth out of self-seeking and obeying unrighteousness will be anger and wrath. Now, what does that mean? That sounds as if God is going to deal with people according to their works in the end. It's, it looks as if God is going to say, well, you've done bad works. You've, you've lied. You've cheated. And you've done something wrong like that. Or you lied about your taxes. Or you were speeding. And the traffic officer caught you. And you said, I was not speeding. Or you tried to trick the system. Who knows? And now God is going to keep score of that. And the last day, he is going to judge you for that. But that's not what he's saying. What he's saying here is, you Jewish people, you think that you have eternal life because you're circumcised in the flesh. You are not having eternal life. The, that which is in the Gentiles is as much in you. That which is in the Gentiles is as much in you, meaning that the law is actually pointing to you that you should believe upon Jesus for salvation. But your hearts has been hardened. And as you are hardened to believe in Jesus, but you believe in your own wisdom, and you become wise in your own eyes, you are self-seeking. You're not seeking God. You are seeking yourself. Am I a Jew or am I not a Jew? He says, according to that, you are reaping for yourself wrath in the day of wrath. What he's actually saying is, on that system, you are not going to have the resurrection in the end. You're going to have eternal death in the end. That is what he's saying. It is not God killing you, but it is you thinking that by yourself and being a Jew, you'll be able to raise yourself up, which is not possible. Okay, um, <clears throat> now let us deal with verse 6 and 7 here quickly. He says, who will render to each man according to his work. What is he talking about? Now he's saying what the good work is. Indeed to those who through patience in good work 
are seeking for glory and honor and incorruptibility. So what, what does it say here? It says those who through good work are seeking incorruptibility. Glory, honor, and incorruptibility. So what, is, what, is, what are they seeking? They are saying we are mortal. We cannot live forever. We are dying. And we are longing for eternal life. There's only one that has eternal life, and it is God. And we are longing for that. Oh, God, please give it to us. You know, having their faith in God. Now, we will explain verse 7 in the light of verse 8 now. But those who indeed are disobeying the truth out of self-seeking and obeying unrighteousness will be anger and wrath. So he says here that those who by patience in good work are seeking for glory, what will they have? Everlasting life. They're seeking for incorruptibility. What will they have? Everlasting life. How are they seeking it? Through good work. Now let's look at what the bad work is and then we can define what the good work would be. The bad work is in disobeying the truth. Out of self-seeking. So what is disobeying the truth out of self-seeking? It's not to believe in God for it. But out of your own power you want it. That is what he is saying. And he's actually referring to the Jews. By making their boast in the flesh and in the law. As those who are disobeying the truth. Which was. What was the truth? You cannot live by your own power. That is the truth. If you disobey the truth, you say, no, I can live out of my own power. I follow these principles. I have these laws. I am a Jew or I am a this. Or I am a, you, you, by standing in that, what will happen? It says you will have wrath in the last day, meaning death. So let's go back to verse 7. Who indeed, uh, those who with patience in good work, what will they have? everlasting life what is patience and good work what is the good work how will we have everlasting life john three sixteen. for those who believe upon jesus says he gave his only begotten son that those who believe upon him will not perish but have everlasting life so what is the continuance with patience the continuance, continuance with patience is to patiently wait for the return of Jesus Christ, believing on Jesus that he will give you eternal life as a free gift. Those who say, I seek for bodily immortality in the day of the resurrection of Jesus, I rely upon him, they will have everlasting life. But those who are self-seeking, I'm not seeking the resurrected Christ. I'm seeking if I'm a Jew or not. I'm seeking if I can live by my own power or not. That is Paul's context of Romans 2 here. He says, what will they have? Anger and wrath and tribulation and anguish upon every life of man who has worked, uh, worked out evil. So what he's talking about here is the working out uh, of evil is simply to say, I don't believe that righteousness is a free gift. I don't believe that eternal life is only from God. 
I am an immortal, eternal being in myself. I have an eternal, immortal spirit. And from this eternal, immortal spirit, I can draw enough power to live by myself. Uh, or you can say, well, uh, I am uh, part of the people of God in, in the physical. So I don't trust upon God. I just look as if I am of the right ethnic group. Am I an Israelite? And if I am, glory to God, you know, or glory to myself, rather, I'm going to make it. That is what he's saying. Verse 10, But he will give glory and honor and peace to every man who works good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. There is no respect of faces with God. So what is he saying? And, and, and um, Taking a very technical passage like this, Taking all of Romans chapter 1 and Romans chapter 2 into consideration up to verse 10 and 11 here. What is Paul trying to say? Paul is trying to say a very simplistic thing. He's trying to say that man is a mortal, a mortal being. Which, sadly in the church, we don't believe until this day. In the church, one of the biggest debates that I've seen is about what are we? We are humans. And that's very important to understand. I want to go so far as to say this. If you don't believe you're a human being, but you believe you're a spirit that lives in a body, you will never be able to understand the gospel. It is impossible. It is impossible. For the gospel is not designed. It is not a message for immortals. If you think that you are immortal in any form or fashion, you've got eternal existence, you cannot, it is uh, 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 logically impossible for you to truly believe the gospel. You cannot believe the gospel. Not the gospel Paul preached. It is impossible. You might say, back to you missing it. I'm not missing it. I tell you the truth of the gospel. The whole message from the beginning is God is the only immortal. It's all found in the story of Adam and Eve. Here is where everything begins. God made the heavens and the earth. And then the earth had become without form and void. And darkness was upon the face of the deep. And God said, let there be light. And then there was light. And then he created the, this beautiful garden of Eden. And then he took man from the dust or the corruptibility corruptible dust he formed out of this corruption uh, or of, of, of the inability to live forever he created a man a human being he made him alive he was the breath of his life and he said to him to you I give dominion and my life through you can go to you and everything but know this one thing O mortal man that should you Work evil, you shall not live forever. You are a mortal being, please believe that. Then the devil came to Adam and Eve and said to them, God is lying. And then we found that God said, okay, live by yourself, let's see. And then man started to bring forth fruit that is the same as death, and then Adam eventually died. 
God is still saying the same to all of us. Without me, you cannot live forever. Then God said, but I can give you eternal life. He proved it in raising Christ from the dead and then appointed him as the Adam over humanity or the last Adam and appointed him then as the king and the ruler over all the earth. We that now believe upon him and don't make our boast in the fact that we are eternal, immortal beings, but we rely upon him and we seek eternal life. Why do you seek eternal life? It's because you don't have it. We have eternal life as a gift. Eternal life belongs to us who have believed upon the Lord. And we already have that and it shall manifest in its fullness the fact that we have this we seek immortality god gives us eternal life so that we can have immortality you cannot be immortal if your life is not eternal if your life is temporal you cannot be immortal that's why god gives us eternal existence and from eternal existence our physical bodies can live forever in the day jesus returns This sounds like something that is foreign to the church, but I want to tell you that as much as what not believing in God brings forth death and the fruit of death, Paul comes and he says we have been sealed with the Holy Spirit and that we have now the fruit of love and the goodness of God inside us. And as what the fruit of death pointed to a sign of eternal death in those that don't believe in God, so now the fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and long-suffering and waiting for Jesus to come back and all those kind of things, is showing and is a sign and is equal to and worthy of eternal life. That is what it's talking about. That's what it's talking about. So Paul comes and he basically then says in Romans chapter 2, you who have the law that don't believe in Jesus, that judges those and say you are without God because you're doing these wrong things, but you're doing the same wrong things, you are as much without God. God's not with you. You are with yourself. And God is standing alongside of you, talking to you, giving you a document, loving you so much that he is with you all the time. But you're not drawing your life from him and you are dying in the very midst of God reaching out to you because you are despising his forbearance and his kindness and his goodness to point out to you that you cannot make it. He gave a law showing to the Jews how they are also in need of a Savior and how they should not trust in their own flesh, but in God. I end off with verse 8. It says, but those who indeed are disobeying the truth. What does that mean? You're not believing that God is the one that will make you immortal by his doing, give you eternal existence. You don't believe that, but you believe you are self-seeking. I am an eternal being. I will just by my own power continue. And now you're obeying unrighteousness. 
<laughs> what will you have in the end? Death. That is what it is saying. God will give to those who are seeking everlasting life. Who are seeking incorruptibility. He will give everlasting life. So what is the purpose of a... What are we as Christians to seek, if you want to call it like that? What am I seeking? I want incorruptibility. What is that? That is what Jesus was seeking when he was walking on the earth. Do you know that Jesus was seeking incorruptibility? He was seeking that. That's why God gave him everlasting life. Therefore, incorruptibility was his. Jesus had temporal life as a human. Then he believed upon the Father. He died. And then the human Jesus, uh, as he trusted on the Father, the Father gave him eternal life that even if his body, his body died, his body had access to incorruptibility. So we who have believed on Jesus, we are partakers of eternal life. Therefore, we can have incorruptibility as humans. Because we are human beings. Belief in this brings forth the fruit of the Spirit, which is against or contrary to the fruit of the flesh. And that's how we get it right to live basically a holy life. I summarize everything. Paul is saying to, in Romans 1, those who believe in Jesus will have eternal life. For it is clearly seen that if you don't believe in God, but you try by yourself, that you will have a life that's worthy of death. Genesis 5, 6 there with a flood and so forth. And now you, chapter 2, that are Jews think, because you have the law and you can point out that these others are sinners, but you live as they are, you think that you uh, have an excuse or you are excused from eternal death. You are not. The law is no answer. The law is God's kindness showing you Jewish people that you are just as terrible as all of them and that you can only have it for free by trusting in God. That is what it is all about. And then the trusting in God was manifested in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, wherein we now believe in Him to bring it forth in us. That is what this is. Well, friends, thank you so much for allowing me to serve you with this teaching today from Romans chapter 1 and then especially chapter 2. I trust that this has stretched your mind into a deeper understanding of what Paul was saying there. If we go through Romans verse by verse, we want to understand it the way Paul wrote it and inside its historic and uh, its literary context. Glory to God. Thank you for allowing me to serve you. And I trust this has blessed you. And I will see you again next week. We will then send you these notes in the week as well. And then on Thursday, the notes for next Sunday. Thank you so much. God bless.